Well, hello, South Hills Church. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I am, I am just so excited to be here with you today. It was so fun to be here last week, and I just want to say thank you so much for welcoming our family so warmly. We were very encouraged. It was a very meaningful service to be a part of this last week, and uh, honestly, all the cards and the gifts, um, you're just a generous conversation, congregation, and we're just grateful for that, and we're just excited to be here. This uh, past couple of months for us has been filled with a lot of goodbyes, which are good, but also hard, and so we're really glad to be here this month because we get to say a lot of hellos, and we're excited to get to know you and to be a part of this church family and to grow with you here in this community and in this church, so thank you so much for welcoming us. We're very excited to be here. And my kids have already started to connect as well, which is fun for us. Um, our youngest two, Kai and Levi, they've been coming to the Summer Blast, the, um, the midweek program for the kids, and they've loved it. They're starting to meet friends. My wife, Lisa, has been a, been a part of that as well, and it's been, it's been a great uh, way to connect. Our daughter, Renee, went to the middle school camp. Our daughter, Renee, is going to be in eighth grade this next year. So she went to the middle school camp, and it's great because she made friends here at the church. She also made friends here at the church to go to her school that she's going to. So now she has someone she knows, and that's a big deal. So we're grateful for that. And our son, Jay, who's going to be a freshman this year, um, he survived a beach boat. And... Uh, <laughs> yes, they got back Friday night. He's still sleeping right now. Um, just joking, he's here, but he was exhausted. Um, but it was a good exhaustion because he was just, he had so much fun. And he had stories to tell and stories to tell. And I'm sure there's more still stories to tell. So it was really, really fun. So we're grateful for this church already and for the connections that we're making um, along the way. Uh, today I get to continue, though, in a series that you guys started as a church um, earlier this summer called Conversations with Jesus. And today I get to pick up on another conversation uh, that Jesus has with a guy who's an outsider. And um, in fact, there's lots of reasons why he's an outside, much outsider. Much of it has to do with who he is and what he's done with his life. But he's on the outside. And many of you understand what that is like. It is not fun to be on the outside. It's not fun to be an outcast. Um, perhaps you have felt like an outsider at different times, whether it's here in this church or in this community or in your own home or in your workplace or just in general, you felt just outside distance. And maybe that's with people or it's from God. You feel far from God, distance from him. This is a guy who understands all of that. And yet in this conversation that Jesus has with this guy named Zacchaeus, the most amazing thing happens. And I want to look at this passage with you because it's so powerful. And so I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19 with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we put the passage for you on, a, on, your, on your chair. It's printed for you with some notes. If you're a note taker, this is your day. So um, be, re be ready um, for that. Here we go. But let me read for you uh, Luke chapter 19, um, beginning in verse 1 through Verse 10, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw him, this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a great conversation. What a great account that Jesus has with this man named Zacchaeus. It begins in verse 1 and it says this, that Jesus entered into uh, Jericho and he was passing through. Where is he passing through to? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We know from earlier in Luke, Luke chapter 9, that Jesus is resolutely set to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, which means he's ultimately on his way to the cross to die, to be the sacrifice for the world, for our sins. That is where he's headed. And he's very close to Jerusalem at this point. Jericho is just um, 18, 19 miles away from, from Jerusalem. So he's passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to complete his mission, what he came to accomplish to be the savior of the world. But it's as he's passing through that he encounters this man named Zacchaeus. And we learn about him in verse 2. It says this, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. So we learn a few things about Zacchaeus here in this, um, in this verse, uh, verse, verse uh, 2. So Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus actually means the righteous one. Which, if there was ever anyone who was misnamed in their life, it's Zacchaeus. No one would ever look at him and say, oh, he's the righteous one. No, they'd look at him and say, he's the rip-off artist. That's what they would say. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and you guys know this. Tax collectors have never been popular, ever. But especially in those days, the tax collectors were notoriously um, viewed as, as traitors, because why? Because they, they worked for the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people, the Jewish community. And so they were considered traitors. And on top of that, they were often seen as dishonest in terms of extorting people to get money. How did they become a tax collector? Well, you become a tax collector, you buy the job. And you would buy it, and then you would, as the tax collector, you would collect the taxes from Rome, and then you would collect on top of that to buy down the job that you just got, and that's what he would do. He would extort extra money from people to buy down the, what, the, the job that he bought, and he would take money for himself. And it's an interesting thing, and I, I don't know exactly how it, how it panned out and how he would uh, press the people and how they, would, how they would get that extra money and extort them, but I kind of have a picture of it. I, I picture Zacchaeus going from door to door, and he's taking with him a couple of Roman guards, a couple of big guys, I kind of imagine, you know, perhaps one named Rocky, the other Balboa, and he's like <laughs> knocking on the door, and he's like, you know, hey, Jones family, you owe $100 or whatever, and then, you know, that's for the Rome, and then he's like, he's like hey, hey, Rocky, you know, Balboa, I think, I think they want to pay us another hundred, you know, help them find it. And so I, I kind of picture that a little bit. I'm not sure exactly how it was, but we do know they were despised. That there was a, there was a sense in which there was a way that they would, they would t- take extra money. And it says that he was very wealthy, so he was ruthless at it. He, he gained a lot of wealth in the process. He was the chief tax collector. So he was kind of the, as you picture it, the mafia boss. And so you just kind of picture either the Jewish community did not have a high view of Zacchaeus. He was not the righteous one in their mind. In fact, they, had a, they hated him. They despised him. 
He was not a nice guy. And on top of all that, he's short. So that's what we find out. That's what we find out in the next verse. So he is the the patron saint for all short people. Um, He says this, that he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So even though Zacchaeus was rich, he was powerful, he was influential, he had gained all that stuff, there was still something he's missing. At the, at the same time, you can have a whole lot, you can find yourself empty. And he was some, empty, there was something missing, and, and he'd heard about this guy, Jesus. And he'd heard perhaps the stories of Jesus because there was lots of that going around. Maybe he heard about Jesus through uh, Levi, who later became Matthew, who was a tax collector who followed Jesus. Maybe he heard that Jesus was someone who um, accepted and reached out to and cared about sinners like him. People on the outside, outcasts, the people that no one else loves. Perhaps he heard those stories. I'm not sure. It doesn't say, but it does say he wanted to see Jesus. And he wanted to see Jesus, but because it says in this verse that he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. Well, the question you might have is, well, why doesn't he just work his way through the crowd? He's short. Have you, as a short person, you have that advantage, right? You can kind of snake your way through into the crowd and get to the front. You've done that. You know, you know we, there's some advantages of being short. We, we understand how that goes. And so you're like, why doesn't he do that? Well, the reason why he doesn't do that is because everyone hates him. The crowd is not a safe place for Zacchaeus. You know, maybe he did try to work his way through the crowd, but then someone recognized, oh, hey, that's Zac- Zacchaeus. So they try to chuck an elbow at him as he's working his way through. And because he's so short, you know, they try to hit him in the chest and it pops him in the head. And then everyone sees that and they start to laugh. And then someone else says, oh, I'm going to do the same thing, so I'm going to knee him in the gut. But because, again, he's so short, it hits him in the chin. You know what I mean? So you just imagine, this, the crowd is not a safe place for Zacchaeus. And so maybe he tried, I don't know. He's short, he can't see over. So what does he do? He runs ahead. This is the most shocking thing. It says in verse 4, he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So two things, two amazing things happen here. First, he runs. And it was unthinkable. It was social, he's breaking all the social and cultural, you know, cues by running. A rich person especially would not run. They would be carried. That's kind of nice. Right? But he wants to see Jesus so badly, he can't see over the crowd. He runs, picks up his robe, and he runs. And it's very undignified, especially for a wealthy person to run in, those, in that time. But he ran ahead because he wanted to see Jesus. But it's not just that. He runs ahead, and then he comes to a sycamore fig tree. And what does he do? He climbs it. Now, again, this is quite shocking. I mean, it's one thing, right, to see a, an adult man climbing a tree. I mean, that's a little, you know, might be a little strange at times uh, to see, but especially someone who is wealthy and influential. So uh, just picture with me, um, you're going to the Tri-Cities um, Waterfall, is that what it's called? The boat races? Yeah. The boat races, right? You're there, you're, you, wanna, you have a great view of the Columbia Cup, Cup and the, the, um, and the air show, and you're there, you're watching, and all of a sudden you hear something rustling in a tree above you, and you're like, what is that? You look up, and there's Jeff Bezos. He's, he's in a suit, and he's on, in this tree. You would think, this is really crazy. Why is he, you know, you can fly a rocket over this thing, right? Why is he in a tree? It would just be very shocking and very surprising, and yet Zacchaeus, this rich, influential person, he runs ahead because he wants to see Jesus. 
And he climbs a tree because he wants to see Jesus. He wants a view. He wants to understand. There's something that he's seeking, there's something that he does not have yet, even though he's gained all that the world would say, hey, this is what's, what you need to go after. There's something missing, and he goes after uh, trying to see Jesus. And so the first blank, if you want to fill it in, I think this is a powerful principle I don't want you to miss, is this. Refuse to let obstacles keep you from seeking Jesus. Refuse to let obstacles keep you from seeking Jesus. See, Zacchaeus broke all the social rules, and he, there was, he was not safe in that crowd for him, but he went to see Jesus. He knew there was something missing. He needed change. He didn't know how. He didn't know what. He figured maybe Jesus is the answer. And so he's, he's not letting any of those obstacles keep him from seeking Jesus. And I want to tell you right here, there's some of you here, and you just need to be reminded that, you know, Jesus is the answer. Or maybe you've been looking for some change in your life. Listen, Jesus is the answer. And I don't know how you got here. Maybe someone dragged you here. Maybe you're here and you don't really want to be here, or you just don't know why you're here at all, but guess what? You're here. And don't let the obstacles keep you to continue to seek after Jesus. For some of us, there's obstacles that we have. There's pain in our life that keeps us from opening our heart to Jesus. For some of us here, there's just things in our past that we're ashamed of, that we feel racked by guilt and that just covers over us. We think we have to clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. It's an obstacle that we carry, and the enemy loves it. He wants you to be burdened by your past. But listen, don't let the past keep you from coming to see Jesus. Don't let your pain keep you from coming to see Jesus. Don't let the obstacle of busyness keep you from seeing Jesus. And Jesus is there, and Zacchaeus is saying, I want to see him, and he doesn't. He refuses to let the obstacles keep him from seeing Jesus. It's a great thing. But then in verse 5, then the most amazing thing happens. When Jesus reached the spot, so Jesus is walking up. Zacchaeus is waiting. He's coming by just like a parade. Um, Jesus comes by and he stops at the spot. He says, he looks up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is just one of the most beautiful parts of this, this story. Jesus is walking along, and Zacchaeus is just hoping to get a peek of him. Jesus stops, and all of a sudden, Zacchaeus' heart starts to, you know, go a little faster. And Jesus then turns, and he starts talking to him. And Jesus says the most amazing thing. He says his name. He knows, he knows his name. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? Jesus knows his name. And he calls down to him, and he says, get down, because I must stay with you. I want to be with you. Isn't that amazing? The principle that I want you to see here that's so powerful, it's so beautiful is this, that Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus is seeking you. Recognize that Jesus is seeking you. It's not just that Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. He knew him by name. And he does the most amazing, amazing thing. He said, I must stay at your house. That's a crazy thing, right? That's kind of like a bold statement. But I love it because it shows that Jesus is showing initiative. Most of us have things that we feel like, Jesus, you wouldn't want me. Most of us have things in our life that we say, God, you, you look at me. You couldn't love me. If you really knew me, man, you'd, you'd walk away. Because I've rejected you and I've rebelled against you. And I, I have things in my life that I'm ashamed of. But Jesus shows initiative. He knows that Zacchaeus isn't going to invite him over. So Jesus says, I'm coming over. I want a relationship with you. 
And we know that, uh, you know, having someone in your home, it's a, it's a step of, of intimacy. But in these days, it was a, a certainly a step of acceptance, friendship, and intimacy. Jesus wants to have an, a real friendship with the guy that everyone hates. A guy that he thought, hey, I'm unlovable. I'm the outcast. This is who Jesus is, and this is how Jesus sees you as well. He's seeking you. Again, I don't know how you got here. I don't know if you're, you're watching online. Maybe someone's, you know, with you, and you're saying, okay, I'm doing it because I just love this person. But listen, Jesus is seeking you. He wants a relationship with you, and it's such a beautiful part of this story. And it says in verse uh, 5 that, that Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. The, the Greek word for that is rejoice. He rejoiced over the fact that Jesus wants to know him and have a relationship with him. But Zacchaeus is the only one rejoicing because look with me at the following verse. It says this in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So Zacchaeus is happy, but no one else is. See, so far in this story, we have a guy who's seeking Jesus, and we have Jesus seeking this guy that no one loves. But no one else thinks that Jesus should be seeking Zacchaeus. It's interesting because as Jesus was entering into Jericho, he healed a blind man and everyone rejoiced. But now he's talking to a tax man and everyone is muttering and complaining. And it shows our heart. It reveals the heart a little bit, doesn't it? That it's very easy for us to say they're lovable, they're not lovable. That we can look at people and we can look at their appearance and we can look at their actions and their attitudes and we say they're lovable, they're not lovable. And we have a way of judging people and deeming people whether they are lovable or not. You're saying, well, I'm not sure that that's true. Well, this is the, the point that I want you to see. The principle that I want you to see is that we need to reconsider our view of unlovable people. We need to reconsider our view of unlovable people. And this is a powerful thing, and this is why I want you to see it, because for sometimes we think, well, yeah, God's love is unconditional. We love that for us. But we have a hard time because we tend to put conditions on our love with other people. You're not sure you believe me? Let me just do a little test, okay? I want to show you a picture, okay? Can I show you a picture? What do you see here? Oh, it's okay. Let it out. Ah, oh, what is this? Puppies, right? How many dog people are here at South Hills Church? Okay, nice, nice. How many cat people are here? Oh, wow. Okay, a few of you. I will pray for you. This is... This is Yep, I know. I, sorry. I, I had a cat once. And I'll leave it there. All right, but here's the puppies. We all love puppies. Look at this picture of this puppy. Isn't this puppy adorable? Don't you want to just hold this puppy, bring this puppy home? I mean, here's another puppy. I mean, this is a sleeping puppy. I mean, I mean, does it get any better than that? I mean, this is nice. Here's another picture. This is our dog. This is our dog, Jack, with our kids. Uh, I know, it's a cute dog, right? So this is our dog, and, and our, kids, our kids love Jack. I'm not sure I always love Jack, but I do. But here's, Jack is our dog, and we love him. And, and, it, and, and it's cute. There's something special about that. So we look at dog, and we're like, oh, that's so lovable. These puppies are so lovable. Can I show you one other picture? Can I show you one more? Can you look at this dog here? This is Elwood. Elwood, I know. Some of you are like, hey, Elwood's looking good. So Elwood happens to be one of the winners of uh, an annual uh, competition, the world's ugliest dog, dog competition. 
in Petaluma, California at the Sonoma Marin Fair. It's an annual event. There's the ugliest dog competition. Elwood won. And you're like, how did Elwood win the ugliest dog competition? I have no idea. Um, but here's, here's, he was a winner one year. Here's another, here's a couple of the other contestants and winners. This is Munchkin, <laughs> one of the other dogs that entered in. Here's uh, another picture. This is Rascal. Another contestant, another uh, dog in, in the competition. Here's another one, Tater Tot. I look at Tater Tot and I'm like, give this dog a blanket or something. It just, it looks like he's freezing. I'm just, I it just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of look at actually after a while. Then there's Sam. Now Sam is one multiple years in a row. That may not surprise you. But you look at Sam and you say, okay, is this the spawn of Satan or is this a dog? I mean... You kind of wonder. Now, here's the deal. Now, you look at this dog, and, and you probably, would you bring this dog home to your kids or your grandkids? I mean, hey, hey I, kids, I got you a little puppy. His name is Sam. Just, you know, don't put your hand near his face. You may not get it back. You know what I mean? So it's like, go play with him. Have fun. You, you probably wouldn't. Now, you look at that, and it's easy, it's easy to say, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can put some conditions on it. I really love this based on their appearance. I love these little puppies. These are the dogs. Yeah, it's going to take a certain owner to say, I'm going to embrace this dog and love it. But here's the deal. We do this as humans all the time. We don't need a competition. We don't need a contest to look at people and judge them based on their appearance, how they look, how they, how they um how they come across. And here's the interesting thing too. Let me just say this. Sometimes we deem people as unlovable, not because they're unattractive, but because they are attractive. We can, we can put conditions on our love because of how people look. And it's not just because they're unattractive, but unattractive. That's why there's secretly a part of sometimes of us when we're like, we kind of want the prom queen to trip and fall, right? There's this sense of like, we can judge people all sorts of different directions. And, and, and we do this all of the time. We, we make judgments based on their appearance, but it's not just based on people's appearance, but we also make judgments based on their beliefs, based on their uh, political views, based on their um, value system. And we can make judgments about people based on, again, the, the politics, uh, their financial position, their social position, th- their sexual orientation, their gender identification. Um, we can put, uh, we can put, make judgments based on ethnic origin. We do, it happens all the time. We put conditions on love. When I was in Bible college, I was, I remember being in a class and there was a discussion that was happening and someone in the class started talking about a politician who was a prominent politician who had been in a recent scandal and had asked the question, well, what would you do if that politician showed up and knocked on your door? And someone in the class shouted out, I would slam the door in his face. And a number of people in the class, half the class started laughing out loud. And my professor, who without hesitation slammed his fist on the podium, and said, no. He said, you slam your face, your, the, the, a, a door in the face of a sinner. You're missing the very heart of God. No one was laughing after that because he was right. We can make judgments based on how people look, how people behave, what they believe, what they don't believe, but we slam the door in the face of a sinner. We're missing the very heart of God. And it's hard for us to understand God's unconditional love. We like it for ourselves. 
But it's difficult when we see it to people that we don't think are worthy or lovable. But this is what this passage challenges challenges us with. The question is, who is it that you have difficulty loving? Who is it that you find difficult to love? Let's take a quick test, shall we? Who is it in your life? Who are the people that you want to avoid? Who are the people in your life that you criticize? Who are the people that you look down upon and there's a part of you that just feels like you're better than them? Who are the people that you gossip about? Who are the people that you compete with? Who are the people that you want to see fail? We all have those people. And this is a challenging passage because Jesus shows us that his love's unconditional. It's hard for us to imagine that God could love a terrorist or a rapist, but God doesn't put conditions on his love. He loves people in a way that is very difficult and very challenging for us. And there's people in each one of our lives that is very difficult for us to love. There's people in our lives that we withhold love from. We put conditions on our love, and yet God is a God of unconditional love. And it's challenging. It says in this passage that it wasn't just the religious leaders that were muttering. All of them were. And we all can find ourselves in that very same spot. This is challenging, so we better keep on going. Let's see how uh, Zacchaeus responds. In the following verse, it says this. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is really, truly amazing. Zacchaeus stands up after uh, being with Jesus, and you see this incredible change come over him. He stands up and he says, Lord, listen, I want to I give back. I, I'm going to give back. Um, you know, half my possessions are going to go away. And then on top of that, I'm going to pay four times the amount to anyone I've cheated. This is, an, this is a remarkable thing. If, if you cheat, cheated somebody in those, in those ancient times, you'd, you know, it's one thing to pay, you know, 20% over. In an extreme case, you might pay, you know, 50% over. But four times, it's, uh, it's, it was the most extreme. He said, I'm going to give it all away. If someone had told Zacchaeus at the beginning of the day, hey, Zacchaeus, I know you're pretty wealthy, but by the end of this day, you're going to have nothing. He would have thought they're crazy. But he had everything, but he was still missing something. He was still missing Jesus. He was still missing a sense of purpose and belonging. He was still missing a relationship with his creator. There was an emptiness that was still there, and Jesus changed him from the inside out. If you want to fill in the next blank, it's this. We need to realize that heart change leads to life change. He wanted change in his life. I think at some level he wasn't fully satisfied. He'd had everything, but he wanted, there was something missing. He just didn't know how to change. But it wasn't until he came into an encounter with Jesus Christ, who changes us from the inside out, that his life began to change. And Luke loves to show in his gospel how an authentic faith ought to touch our wallet, ought to touch our pocketbook, And he also loves to show how an authentic faith ought to change our view and how we treat people. And in this case, it's both. He says, hey, it's not not just my possessions, but it's also how I view people. That I want to care for the people that I've wronged. And because I now care for people in a brand new way, because God cared for me unconditionally, I want to give more. I want to give it away. It's an amazing thing. Heart change leads to 
life change. And this is, is hope for each one and every one of us too, by the way, who is looking for change. We need to encounter Jesus and allow him to work in our hearts. Then Jesus says this great statement in verse 9 and 10. It says this, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, this man is now a son of Abraham. That is, he's, ex- he's expressed faith in, in who he is. And then after that, Jesus makes the statement of his mission, what he came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. And when I look at this, the principle that I want you to see that I think is so powerful is this, that we need to rejoice and re- realign our life with Christ's mission. To rejoice and realign your life with Christ's mission. We need to rejoice. Why? Because Jesus statement reminds us that he came to save lost people. And all of us have ex- know what that means and what that is like. It says this in Isaiah. It says this in Isaiah 53, that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So each one of us has wandered off. All of us understand what it means to be lost. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you understand what it means to be found. You understand what, it's, what it means to go from darkness to light. And if you've experienced that, we need to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. Amen. That Jesus is a God who seeks lost people. And many of you know that deeply. That you were lost and because of Jesus, you're found. That you lived a life of darkness, but because of Jesus Christ, you now are living in the light. And that you have a, a hope of future glory that will never fade and never perish. Isn't that good news? We ought to rejoice in that. Rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. But it's not just that we rejoice in that, but if you have received that, if you were lost and have been found through the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, we need to realign our lives with his mission. He came to seek and save the lost. And there's plenty of lost people still around. This is what we need to be focused on personally and as a church together. Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, you're very familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, aren't you? You've heard the story. You've studied the story. You've sang the story. You, you're familiar with Zacchaeus. But are you familiar, familiar with what comes after, right after this passage? Are you familiar with what Jesus says immediately after this account? Jesus tells a parable. And let me read for you the, just the very next verse. Right after this, in verse 11, it says this, while they were listening, this is, while, this is all happening on, while they're listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Right after this incredible encounter with Zacchaeus and his life has changed, Jesus makes a statement, I came to seek and save the lost. He goes on to tell them a parable. Do you know what the parable is? Can I tell you that parable? It's a parable about a certain man who goes off to a a distant land to receive a kingdom. But before he goes off to receive that kingdom, he gathers together his servants. Ten servants, and he gives each of them a a mina, which is about three months' wages. He gives each of them one. And he says to them, Invest this while I'm gone. Then he goes off to a distant uh, country to receive that kingdom. 
Of course, there were some who rejected him and didn't want him to reign and rule over them, his enemies, his opponents. But he goes off and he said, I'm coming back. Does that sound familiar to you? And he does come back. And he does come back as king. And he gathers together his servants and he says to them, what'd you do with Amina? One servant says, hey, I invested it. And I've got 10 more. He says, way to go. I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. Another servant comes to him. Says, well, I invested it and I've got five more. He says, awesome. Good job. I'll put you in charge of five cities. But then another servant comes to him and says, well, I know you're a tough guy. I know that you... Reap where you don't sow, where you, you take where you haven't planted. And so I took that mina and I wrapped it up in this cloth and I hid it away. I just held on to it because the best I could do was just give it back to you. And the king says to those around, says, take that mina and give it to the one who has 10. And they say, well, wait, wait, he already has 10. No, no, never mind. Give it to the one who has 10. And then he takes those who were opposed to him, those who were his enemies and opponents, and he ultimately, he destroys them. Does this sound familiar to you? Jesus is that king. And he has gone away, but he is coming back. And he's coming back, and he will find his servants, some who have been faithful and some who have been unfaithful. And he's coming back looking to reward those who are faithful with what he gave to them. The question is, what is it that he, give, he gives to us? What is it that he gives to each and every one of his followers, each and every one of his servants, each and every one of his children that is the same? See, it says in this parable that he gave them all the same thing. He gave each one of them one mina, the same. What is it? that God has given to each and every one of us, his children, that's the same, regardless of how much money you have or how little money you have, regardless of your social standing, if it's high or if it's low. What's the one thing that he's given to you that is of great value that's to be invested? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is the thing that he has given to each and every one of us, whether we're at the top of the social heap or we're at the bottom of the social heap, whether we're affluent or we're poor, we all have this one great treasure that he has given to each and every one of us. And he's looking for us to invest it. And he will return. And when he returns, he is not going to be looking at what is on your business card or what is not on your business card. When he returns, he's not going to be looking at what house you have or what house you don't have. He's not going to be impressed by what car you have or what car you do not have. He is going to be wondering and asking the question, what did you do with the good news that I gave you? And so we as his followers need to be very careful to invest the good news that he has given to us, this, this treasure of great value. We need to invest it very wisely. See, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Why? To go to the cross for us so we don't have to go to the cross. That's what he did for us. 
But it's our privilege because he did what, that for us. It's our privilege then to be very, very sensitive and careful to make sure that as we go through life that we're willing to stop for people named Zacchaeus. That we're willing to stop for people who on the outside don't look very righteous. Who on the outside by how they act and how they behave and how they look, they aren't very lovable. All he wants us to do is be willing to not pass them by. That we'd be willing to stop and make an investment. And it may take more than just our visible eyes, but we need the eyes of the Holy Spirit to see the people that God is putting in our life, that we wouldn't pass them by, that we could come alongside and believe in them, build a relationship with them, and when that relational bridge is strong, that we would share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. See, Jesus put this parable right adjacent to the, the, this account with Zacchaeus because he wants us to know his heart. His heart is for lost people. And he wants us to invest the good news of Jesus Christ wisely. The question you have is, where are the lost people? Well, they're in your family. How do I know that? Because they're in my family too. We all have people in our family who need to know Jesus. They're in your workplace or at your school. People who need to hear the good news. That is, you build a relationship with that you're praying for and looking for opportunities to share the good news with them. They're in your neighborhoods. And I know that in your neighborhood, it's fun to encounter another Christian. Maybe your neighbor's a Christian. Maybe there's someone else in your neighborhood. And it's fun and it's good. But what if you got together with that Christian in your neighborhood and said, I want to pray. Let's pray together for the lost people in our neighborhood. Let's build relationships with them and look for opportunities to invest this good news that God has given to us with them. He will return, and he's looking to reward those who have been faithful with the good news that he's entrusted to us. Let's take a moment, and let's pray and ask him for his help with that. God, as we come to you, we, we thank you so much for the fact that you came to seek and to save the lost. The fact that you love us unconditional. You see all of our sin, you see all of our guilt, all of our shame, and yet you still stopped and you came to be with us and you didn't walk away from us you didn't ignore us but instead you went to the cross for us clearly demonstrating your love and you did what we couldn't do you died on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right with God so we're thankful for that Lord we rejoice in our salvation and Lord as we've received this good news Lord help us to be people who then invest that good news in the lives of those around us. Lord, help us to have eyes to see those who are lost, eyes to see those who are hurting, and help us, Lord, to even love those that are unlovable for your sake, because that's your mission, to seek and to save the lost. Lord, help us in that way. We pray this together in your name. Amen.